Y bienvenidos a la Daily Hustle. Soy Enrique Barnes. Y presidente de su mejor cerveza. No abate por No Filter Network. Miguelito Sandiaguito, a.k.a. Bobby Ball. Not with us this morning, but job or no job, dead or alive, you know, as we usually do. We properly salute him. Yes, 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 yes. A very pleasant good morning to you. It is September the 1st, 2023, and I'm coming to you live from Half Moon Bay, California, where I found this terrific sign. We cannot always build the future for our youth, but we can build our youth for the future. That is the truth. It's along the same lines as are we going to prepare the road for our child or are we going to prepare our child for the road? The other sign that I found here this morning, of course, was the difference between the impossible and the possible is determination. Look at Theodore over there. Oh, dude, he's tripping right now. Eleanor is taking a walk around the block with Callie, and he's very upset. But he has an issue where he bites the leash uh, basically all the time, and he's damn near impossible to walk, but he's sitting there. It's like such a proper formation. Uh, the Daily Hustle 222, by the way, uh, one of our title sponsors. He gets really upset when I get on technology. So at some point, he's probably going to come over here and start barking. So we are in Half Moon Bay. Uh, I did mention it's the 1st of September, which is a special day in our household. It just so happens to be Biggity Biscuit's 12th birthday. Uh, yep, that's right. So now we officially have a 12, 13, and 14-year-old in the house he says this morning that we no longer have any kids he's a teenager <laughs> whatever we're live we're interactive uh good morning to you michelle drew if there's any technical difficulties let me know the internet uh, is suspect uh, a little bit and so those who want to blame no filter for any of these issues uh, look it's typically the internet whenever we're dealing with any sort of audio or visual uh, deficiencies. Now, the audio is I'm constantly trying to figure out what's best and most convenient and everything else. But I went on a run on the beach this morning and typical Half Moon Bay day. It is absolutely fucking gorgeous. Now, what's gorgeous to me it may not always be gorgeous to you. One of the reasons why I originally moved over here was because of the fog. Like, literally, I cannot get enough of the fog. I love it. The moisture, I mean, especially as we age a little bit here. The, I, I running down the golf course directly into the ocean this morning. It felt like I got a fucking facial. Huh. Uh, it just compared to the way it is up in Tahoe, 
where the elements it's it's so dry and it's just it's tough on your skin and as a white Irishman that we don't necessarily age the best anyway kind of like a, a a prune but to feel that moisture ah oh, it was unbelievable so again uh, Theodore will be talking to us and chiming in through the course of the show look at him he hasn't moved it's almost fucking weird. No, it is weird. Not almost. So uh, we're also sponsored by 818 Tequila. Unfortunately, I don't have a bottle of 818 on me right now. Uh, KT Tape, our proud new sponsors here at the uh, Daily Hustle. I'm really looking forward to working with them. I need to figure out how to put on tape. I do. And I brought the tape with me. I'm going to do a series of different things uh, for them over the course of I don't know, the next six to 12 months, but I, ha I do have a code that eventually I'll be able to put into the chat. We could do a banner ad for them. Uh, it, it just really good people over there. And what they're trying to do is just continue to allow all of us uh, to be active and, and support that activity. So the way it works, and I've never really understood it <clears throat> until recently, and they got this awesome explanation and tutorial but the tape doesn't act as support. Well, it's more psychological than anything. But really what the tape does is that it promotes blood flow to the area. And so it speeds up recovery and helps you get loose quicker, uh, all of the above. So KT Tape is, again, our uh, proud sponsor. All right, let's uh, get into this too. Verge was the other new sponsor that... We have Tri-Burge, it's at Tri-Burge. Check this stuff out, it's for focus, it's for concentration, it helps me. I did not take mine this morning, so if I'm a little scattered, I will be a little scattered. Uh, but it is, it is awesome. It's got the lemon, it's got the ginger, it's got a little cannabis in it. It's the perfect blend of all of it. And then the DH-222, unfiltered life guidance from a human Crash test dummy. If you haven't picked up a copy of that, go to ericburns.com, where you can also get, guess what? A foot reflexology board. Okay, on to the program. By the way, if you're new to the show, this is the Daily Hustle. We go over the hottest news stories, sports scores, and weather phenomena around the world that basically interest me. That's about it. So some days we will spend a little bit more time on the news stories. Most days, especially during baseball season, we'll spend more time on the sports scores. And the weather phenomenons I typically will uh, reserve for hurricanes, typhoons, and all sorts of other wacky, wild shit that our world has been enduring as of late. But we also do do personalized weather reports, which you will get nowhere else but right here on No Filter network so if you have any interest in having your hometown read off let me know i'll put you into the rotation and we'll get after it starting today's beagreatteacher.com september the first 2023 thought of the day education is our passport to the future for tomorrow belongs to the people who prepare it for today malcolm x it's the truth education is freedom Education is knowledge. It's everything. Joke of the day. How many seconds are there in one year? 12 of them. 
January 2nd, February 2nd, March 2nd, April 2nd, May 2nd, June 2nd, July 2nd, August 2nd, September 2nd, just one day away. October 2nd, November 2nd, and December 2nd. This would be appropriate if it was actually the 2nd of September. But I have a feeling they put this here because they do not have a daily fun facts tomorrow on Saturdays. They go Monday through Friday at BeAGreatTeacher.com. Random fact of the day, it is physically impossible for pigs to look into the sky. The anatomy of a pig's neck muscles and spine have certain limitations to the movement of their head and restricts them to look upwards. This makes it impossible for them to look straight to the sky. I'm going to call bullshit on this one. If you're a pig, what's the number one thing pigs like to do? They're rolling the fucking butt. So if a pig wants to look at the sky, I get it. They don't want to go like this. That's fine. I, oh, geez, that's one of the worst squealing sounds I've met. Try that another day. Journal prompt of the day. How do you celebrate Labor Day? Well, we are celebrating this weekend with baseball. That's it. It's nice to have this long holiday weekend where we have a, a tournament down in San Jose. So looking forward to that. The launch of the new Let Them Play 12U team. So we have kids coming from the Central Valley, a couple of our buddies come from Southern California. And this will be the kickoff of the brand new season. Okay, hitting up some of the big news stories from today. Let's see here. Go to the top ones. Ukraine fights to widen its puncture of Russian front lines. AG Merrick Garland denounces election worker threats as DOJ charges over a dozen people. Texas law aims to punish prosecutors who refuse to pursue abortion cases. Well, here's the next one, the first one we'll actually dive into. ACC votes to add Stanford, Cal, and SMU, cementing the death of the Pac-12. Oh, this is fucked up. Stanford, Cal, and SMU to join the ACC, likely cementing the death of the Pac-12. How did this ever come about? Stanford and Cal have found new homes in the Atlantic Coast Conference. Geographically, this makes no fucking sense. Leaving just Washington State and Oregon State behind in the Pac-12. The Pac-12's steady march towards death appears to be nearing an end with the ACC presidents and chancellors voting Friday to add Stanford, UC Berkeley, and Southern Methodist. In 2024, ESPN was the first to report the vote with the Associated Press and Others soon confirming the decision. Stanford, Cal, and SMU leaders announced Friday morning they accepted invitations to join the league and will compete in all sports. Last year, UCLA and USC shocked the college sports landscape by announcing their move to the Big Ten. I mean, that was the big one. That was the one that set everything off. The Times reported Pac-12 University presidents and chancellors conflicted over how to move forward. 
spurning potential media rights deals with ESPN and Apple. Tiring of instability that continued for a year, Colorado defected to the Big 12 in July. Washington and Oregon joined the Big 10 in August, receiving smaller television revenue shares than the Bruins and Trojans. And Arizona and Arizona State and Utah jumped to the Big 12 the next day. While Washington State and Oregon State, I mean, poor Washington State and Oregon State, denounced the defections. I mean, how can you denounce it at this point? And pledged to help the Pac-12 rebuild. No, there's no such thing. It's done. It is now more than likely that two schools will join the nearby Mountain West Conference. Oh, fuck. Oh, this is good for the Mountain West Conference. Those are two good schools. <sighs> Notre Dame, which has a partnership in the ACC while remaining independent in football, reportedly campaigned to get Stanford and Cal into the conference, but Clemson, Florida State, North Carolina, and North Carolina State objected to the expansion. After about a month of debate and promises, the new schools would take less of an enhanced revenue pool ESPN would provide. ESPN reported NC State flipped and provided the ninth vote required to invite the schools to the conference. SMU is expected to join the ACC for nine years with no broadcast media revenue. What? Really? Oh, they're rich as shit, though, man. I mean, SMU? They got to be getting by on tuition alone. It's an arm and a leg to go there. SMU is expected to join for the, the no broadcast rights. Wow. Uh, while Cal and Stanford were expected to receive 30% shares of the ACC media rights payout, the Mustangs would still receive a share of the league's college football playoff revenue. Florida State has been especially vocal opposing expansion and has threatened to leave the ACC, signaling the seismic shifts that began two years ago with Texas and Oklahoma agreed to leave the Big 12 to join the SEC may not be over. I mean, Florida State, who the fuck do you think you are? Seriously? This holier-than-thou Florida State? Not wanting Stanford or Cal? In the ACC? Come on. That educational dog shit school? Florida State? Stanford and Cal? We'll lift you up from an academic perspective to give you guys prestige in the ACC. North Carolina is the only halfway decent fucking school there. I mean, everything else has got an acceptance rate of about 98%. My goodness. I, that's the one thing that, if I'm thinking about this, and I'm in the ACC, I'm serious. I, the prestige that Stanford can bring to the ACC. Now, hold on a second, because I'm gonna I'm gonna back up. North Carolina, Wake Forest is the other one. I'd have to see all the schools, but a lot of these are just big public universities. So when it comes to what are you bringing to the conference? Uh, Stanford's bringing the number one school in the country when it comes to all-around school. I mean, you could say it's Stanford, you could say it's Harvard, 
go back and forth. Maybe it's MIT some years. I don't know. But I think all around when it comes to academics, athletics, everything, it's fucking Stanford. Cal brings a long story tradition of being this great public university in California that like always like Cal, UCLA, North Carolina, Michigan, those are the top public universities in, in America. I consistently ranked up there. So to not want to associate with them, you're fucking idiots. And then SMU is bringing a shit ton of money. Like, they don't even want your revenue. They don't care about your $30 million a year or whatever it is. They're like, we'll take nothing. We just want a cool place to play so we can get recruits to come in here, compete for us. We will be significant once again as we were when they were paying athletes back in the 80s. They're like, dude, we've been down this road before. We know how to do it again. So this Florida State, oh, we're going to fucking leave. Shut the fuck up. Golly. It just that, that it doesn't make any sense to me. If you're wondering why USC and UCLA left, and originally I was, whoa, taken aback, just like everybody else was. But this whole thing kicked off. Pac-12 revenue per year for the teams when it came to television, it was like three million bucks per school. Them going to the Big Ten all of a sudden went from three to thirty. Like that's significant. I, how significant is it in the grand scheme of things when you talk about? Schools that have hundreds of millions of dollars or billions of dollars in endowment? I don't know. And I don't know how the endowments work. But I do know that if I'm any conference in America, any conference, doesn't matter, and I can add a Stanford and I can add a Cal and even an SMU, SMU probably a, a little less, but Stanford and Cal, that's that's moving the needle for me. So, all right. Uh, this was a fun one. Last night, by the way, uh, Florida got pounded by Utah. And it was incredible. This is kind of flipped through the articles to read the reaction after a 24-11 victory by the Utes. So it says, year two of the Billy Napier era at Florida kicked off with a lackluster start for the Gators behind offensive woes and special teams gaffes. UF was routed by Utah 24-11 on Thursday night in Salt Lake City. Below is all Gators' rapid reaction to Gators' season-opening loss to the Utes, identifying the factors that led to Florida's defeat. Number one here says, poor results offensively despite a strong game by Graham Mertz. So Graham Mertz is the quarterback. A lot of people were worried about him, but he actually played well. As much as the Gators struggled to finish drives and putting points on the board, quarterback Graham Mertz showed tremendous poise in the first quarter of his debut with the program, in part due to the play designs Napier drew up early on. But in the second quarter, the wheels began to fall off. Mertz threw for 330 yards, a personal record, and not previously eclipsed 300 yards in a game in his career and a touchdown while completing 70% of his passes. Fantastic. In his first game with the Gators, however, questionable play calling and a lack of execution down the field cost Florida potential points. Florida only rushed for 13 yards across 21 attempts throughout the game. That's fucking terrible. A reversal of the team's dominant ground game output from a year ago in the second quarter, specifically Gator Rock gained 112 to 8 in total offensive yards. The Wolves continued in the second half 
with an interception deep in Florida territory off a drop by Ricky Pearsall and three failed fourth down conversions despite the Gators out gaining Utah 24 to 38 over the final 30 minutes. So if you're a Gator fan, I mean, that's promising. 24 38 or 214 to 38 in the final 30 minutes. At that point, the Gators were trying to play catch up, though. They just couldn't. I mean, Utah obviously slowed it down. Penalties third down, a special team gaffe. Week one woes hit the Gators with penalty issues, special team struggles. Florida converted only one third down over 13 attempts. It's awful. On the night, Florida had nine penalties and 45 yards. However, the yardage does not tell the full story of the timing, the magnitude, the mistakes. Seven of their penalties were on third or fourth down. So a rough night for the Florida Gators. More than anything, it's somewhat entertaining, I believe, to watch the reactions of these SEC schools. The way they win or lose one game, and it's basically the end of the world. Okay, here's a hot story off the press. We all know Ronald Acuna and what's going on with him. Uh, he became the first player in the history of Major League Baseball to hit 30 home runs and steal 60 bases. But what most of you probably did not know is that on the same day he accomplished that feat, last night, he got married. What the fuck? Seriously? How is this even possible? So, apparently, it says, what a day if Cunha gets married, then creates 3060 Club with a grand slam. Ronald Cunha Jr. became the first member of the 3060 Club. Didn't sneak up on anybody, but the Braves superstar getting married the same day he realized this great achievement certainly did. Quote, I didn't mention anything to anyone, Acuna said through an interpreter. It was kind of like a surprise. Apparently. I mean, who doesn't, of course, get married on a random Thursday in the middle of the MLB season? Kevin Pillar and Michael Harris II were among his teammates who joked their wedding invitations must have been lost in the mail, but they all had a front row seat as Acuna has routinely amazed just as he did while helping the Braves hold on to beat the Dodgers 8-7 on Thursday night at Dodger Stadium. By the way, Giuseppe Pepe Manuel and I had the Braves last night. Acuna's second-inning grand slam made him the first player in ALNL history to record 30-plus homers and 60-plus steals in a season just two days after he stole two bases to join that 2060 club. I feel privileged, Acuna said. I thank God for letting me play the game I love every single day. It's not just about me. It's about my teammates and the fan base. We all shared this moment. And anticipated the opener of the, <clears throat> as anticipated, the opener of the four-game series was filled with excitement. The National League's top two teams staged a thriller as Acuna and Mookie Betts showed why they both currently stand as the top two contenders for the National League MVP award. Okay, I get that. Can we stop forgetting about Fred Freeman? I mentioned it yesterday on the show. He is right up there with Mookie Betts. He's right up there with Acuna. 
Freddie Freeman needs to be in every single MVP debate that we have, period. That's it. I'm done. Matt Olson, I love him. And he's in discussion. He will finish a very distant fourth. But those three need to be on top. Quote, I'm not playing against Ronald Acuna, said Betts after answering Acuna's exploits with two homers of his own. I'm playing against the Braves. We're trying to beat the Braves. He's great, awesome person. Take absolutely nothing away from him. But I'm not playing against him. It's a very good point by Mookie. This series could determine which of these teams earns home field advantage throughout the NL portion of the postseason. The Braves now hold a five-game lead over the Dodgers for the NL's best record with 29 games remaining. Acuna slam off Dodgers starter Lance Lynn. Now, Lance Lynn's given up more homers than anybody else in baseball. I'm not exactly sure that this is the guy that the Dodgers want to be riding into the postseason. Now, he's a good innings eater, and they left him out there, sort of threw him to the wolves as he continued to give it up. I think he ended up giving up all seven, seven of the eight runs at least. But we're saying here that Spencer Strider, oh, he was fantastic. He was constructing an impressive outing before allowing the first of Betts two home runs. Betts three-run shot in the fifth inning barely eluded a leaping Acuna's glove. I thought I had it because the ball tipped off the glove. Acuna said just a little late and a little behind. Still, even with Betts adding to the NL best OPS and war on the night, the Braves managed to win for just the fourth time in the past 16 games at Dodger Stadium, dating back to 2018, including the postseason. Okay, let's get into war for a second. Because I don't even think that we can continue to bring up war. And I, I do love this statistic. I think it's really important because the premise of war is to evaluate the overall value of a player. And I, that's critical. At the end of the day, that should tell us who the best player is. Now, understand this, that Kim from San Diego has one of the highest scores in all of baseball. Now, is he Mookie Betts? Is he Ronald Acuna? No, he's not even fine close. He's not Freddie Freeman. They look at the other numbers. It just doesn't make sense. But until we have a very clear explanation that everybody understands, it's a tough statistic to go back to. So for now, if I'm evaluating, and I say this because Mookie must get tremendous value of war. Because if you look at the offense's statistics, he's actually well behind Acuna. He's well behind, I think he's even behind Freddie Freeman. Uh, they're all similar. But if you, if you go across the board, I say that like, Freddie Freeman's got 17 stolen bases. He's been caught once. Acuna's got 60 stolen bases. Mookie Betts has 10. Is he a better base runner? He's not ripping bags, so you're not going to convince me that he's a better base runner. Is he a better fielder? Freddie Freeman has a 999 fielding percentage. Is he better than Acuna? Uh, he's not faster than Acuna. So I, I want to know where that war is coming from. And let's get specific. And if I can have a good explanation of that's it. Now, 
this isn't a knock on Mookie Betts. He's one of my favorite players in baseball. He's so fucking fun to watch. But if we're going to harp so much on war, can we have a better explanation? That's the only thing anyone, that's why, that's why everyone hates war, because they don't understand it. They don't know what it is. They don't know what numbers they're using. They don't understand how that formula, and I'm sure it's probably there in fine print somewhere on baseball reference. But fuck, can we make it a little bit more clairvoyant? I don't think clairvoyance will work. Transparent? Yeah, I lost my way. Anyhow, uh, they're talking about bats having the ward. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Austin Riley and Harris contributed to homers, but the big early burst was supplied by Acuna, who has 30 homers, 62 stolen bases with a month's worth of game. I mean, what's going to be amazing is if he goes 40 70. He's got easy eight more bags. Like, those are coming. The question is, could he have a monster month to get him to 40 homers? Huh. It says he could possibly produce the fifth 40-40 season in ALNL history. Or at least also invent the 30-70 club. It is fun to watch. And I, if you guys saw him rip that bag last night, dude, it wasn't even close. Uh, he has great leads. He gets great jumps. He's fast as shit. I, man, my argument at this point is he's the best player in baseball. Eric Davis, 1987. Barry Bonds in 1990 had been the only players to steal 50-plus bases during a 30-homer season. But with the first 30-60, Season on record, Acuna has topped that feat. Uh, not to toot my own horn, by the way, but I, and I didn't even know this existed. It's it kind of fun because I had Jack Magruder come up to me after I stole my 50th base in 2007. And I had 20 homers and stole 50 bases. And I, at that point, I was the 11th player in the history of Major League Baseball to accomplish a feat. I think it had been done like 19 times by 11 different players. I think Joe Morgan was one of the guys. Um, I mean, there was a a slew of these dudes that did it. I, Eric Davis did it, you know, multiple times. So it's an honor. It's, it's it definitely is pretty cool. I mean, what do you what do you chase as as a player? Uh, speed, power, right? Doesn't that Kind of the concept and idea. It says the next potential milestone in sight is 40-40. Just four times as this ever occurred. It was Jose Canseco in 88, Barry Bonds in 96, Alex Rodriguez in 98, and Alfonso Soriano. What an underrated fucking player he was in 2006. Acuna was three steals shy of joining his club in 2019 when he had a career-high 41 at just 21 years old. Wow. If they said anybody would do it, I knew it'd be Ronnie Harris then. It's kind of crazy that he got married and became the first player in history to do that on the same day. It's pretty. It's a pretty big day for him. Can we get more explanation on this marriage? Acuna and the Braves left Denver Wednesday night against the Rockies and got to their Los Angeles area hotel Around 2.30 a.m., Acuna slept for a while before traveling about 45 minutes outside of town to a ranch 
with a mountainous background where he and his wife Maria tied the knot. The ceremony was scheduled just days before Maria, under terms of her Venezuela visa, would have been required to leave the United States, Aquino told ESPN. Had that happened, she would not have been allowed to return to the U.S. for three months. By then, the postseason would have been over. We have such a beautiful family. The two young boys growing up, Acuna said, I just pray to God that we can stay healthy and continue to grow as a family. This was a day Acuna is going, isn't going to forget. And it was a day Raciel Iglesias was motivated to end in fitting fashion as he produced a scoreless ninth while pitching a third straight day for just the third time this year. That gave me some extra focus because I felt that this beautiful moment deserved to be celebrated with a victory. Yeah, you knew there was some story behind this. I, it, may, it makes a lot of sense. Obviously, I mean, they're about to deport his wife. That's, that's definitely enough reason to go ahead and get married. All right, let's take a look around Major League Baseball and dive into some of the other scores that took place yesterday. There were only four games on the docket. Shocking. I don't remember the last time there was only four games. It was a Yankees three and the Tigers four. I did a video on this yesterday. It was, it was very poorly received. I thought it was a great video, but it basically was Glaber Torres throwing the ball away because he was tapped at second base. Now, I maybe I do a great job of really explaining everything, but the way Glaber Torres threw the ball away, like you could tell, like it was almost like he was trying to sell it. So instead of going and attacking and trying to get the double play, you had Parker Meadows slide into second base. And literally, he slid right in. He clipped Torres's left foot. And it was like, ah, almost like a flop. The ball went in the fucking dugout. And sure enough, they go to review. They check it out. The Yankees would have liked a reversal of this call. It did not happen. Boom. Ball game. That was it. Tigers win. So, Kurt Gibson was in the booth for the Tigers. And you heard him talking a little bit about it, at least on the highlight that I saw. And he didn't get into anything. But all I could think, because I played for Gibby, was his thought that here we are in 2023. And... The dude sliding into second base, right? A Detroit Tiger, and you think about how giddy he used to play. He used to knock fucking middle infielders into left field. He used to rip off catcher's heads. And all was well. Onward and upward. That was it. And now this has turned into powder puff. You can't touch anybody. It's a complete and total non-contact sport. Is that a good thing? I don't know. Maybe for the safety of the players, it's a great thing. In my humble opinion, no. Like, let these kids play. I think the egregious takeouts at home plate, 
the Hal McRae body checks at second base are over the top. But we still need to be able to go hard into bases to break up double plays. It's one of the beauties of the fucking game. Parker Meadows is going to get celebrated even just for this like little sort of thing that he did to cause that error throw. That's awesome. There was no better feeling than breaking up a double play, having the shortstop or second baseman throw the ball in a pooper, and helping your team score a run and win a game. That was fucking everything, man. Oh, I live for that shit. And so to see that completely taken away, I, I don't I don't love it. As simple as that. So I was thinking with Yibby. I made two videos. And the, the first one, I actually I didn't I didn't post. I went back and I changed it. But I because I was a little aggressive. Because I was trying to analyze it from his perspective. And I felt like his perspective would have been. What a bunch of fucking pussies. Ah, I don't know. I can't speak for Kirk Gibson. Just knowing him and thinking about what he would have thought. But it's not anything against Clever Torres. It's not anything against Parker Meadows. And that's why it's like, I don't want to attack the players. They're playing the game within the way it's supposed to be played. And even Torres, if you don't have him. So if that guy's going to score anyway, right? And I don't know if he was or wasn't. But if you don't, if you weren't going to get the double play and he was going to score, that actually would be a pretty smart play. Is try to initiate contact. So uh, the other games yesterday was the Marlins 6-1 over the Washington National. Let's see what happened in that game. We had Jazz Chisholm, Will Clark's favorite player. Three-run home run, his 14th of the year. And then Jake Berger, the solo homer. Holy shit. Jake Berger's got 28 bombs this year. Seriously? We need to do something on him. 28 bombs. I mean, the Marlins and Pitts are shitty. They're back to 500 now. That was a playoff team for a long time. The Giants, 7-2 winners. We had the Giants yesterday. I mean, I don't always, I, look, I don't always want to celebrate our, our victories and not bring up our defeats. But the two plays we had yesterday were the Giants on the road in San Diego. San Diego's a fucking disaster. They have been awful. There's no other way to put it. And I think the Giants are actually better than people believe they are. 70 and 64. And the Giants record is 62 and 73 for the pod squad. And we had, what did we do here? The Giants had a six-run third inning. Yastrzemski is back. He had a solo homer for the Gigantes. And then the score I mentioned earlier was the Braves eight and the Dodgers seven. Ronald Acuna, after getting married, creates his own 30-60 club. The Braves had a six-run second inning. So taking a look at the standings, Baltimore is on top of the AL East, one and a half games up on Tampa. So Tampa's still very much there in contention to take down the East. They're 83 and 52. So there's a 
one game behind in the win column, two behind in the loss column. The Twinkies have separated themselves in the AL Central. They're five up on Cleveland. Cleveland's fucking 64 and 70. Just even the fact that they're still in this. They were claiming a bunch of people off waivers. I'll get to the news in a second. How about Detroit? 60 and 74 has not been a terrible year for them. I have a feeling they might surpass their win total that they were supposed to get at least. Seattle is on top of the West along with Houston. They're in a uh, virtual tie, and then Texas is one back there. In the National League East, it's the Braves 14 games up with this. So Philly's 74 and 59. Good record, right? 15 games above 500. They're 14 games back of Atlanta. 14. That's how good Atlanta is. Atlanta, 88 wins down, most in all of baseball. The Milwaukee Brewers, 74 and 59 are on top of the Central. The Cubs just three back, though, 71 and 62. And then in the West, it's the Dodgers who have separated themselves. They're 83 and 50. 13 and a half up on San Francisco, who's in second place at 70 and 64. And then AZ, who's right behind them, at 69 and 65. The wild card picture, as it would play out, if it ended tomorrow, it would be Tampa, Houston, and Texas. Toronto, two and a half back in the American League. And then the National League wildcard teams would be Philadelphia, Chicago, and San Francisco. Once again, that would be a great playoffs. You would have the Braves, the Dodgers, the Brewers, Philadelphia, Chicago, and San Francisco. Those are all big-time franchises. Now, Arizona and Cincinnati might be saying, fuck off, as they're one and one and a half back, and they could come back into the picture. Miami's three back. So they still theoretically have a chance, but we will see how this plays out. Top stories around Major League Baseball. They have the Cunha there. We've already talked about uh, that one. It says what it means to be in first place entering September. Analyzing the six players claimed off of waivers on Thursday. Yeah, let's take a look at that. So it was the last day you could have claimed somebody and they would actually be eligible for the postseason. So it was Lucas Giolito. The Angels sent two of their best prospects to the White Sox for Giolito and Reynaldo Lopez at the trade deadline, only to place both on waivers weeks later after falling further out of the playoff race. A pending free agent, Giolito struggled over his six starts with the Halos posting a 6.89 ERA. 15 walks, 10 homers allowed. He'll add some veteran experience to the Guardians who picked him up and have been relying on a trio of rookies, Tanner Bybee, Logan Allen, and Gavin Williams. So the Indians, or Guardians, I should say, are they're actually trying to make a run at this. And why wouldn't they? They're only a few back of the Twinkies. Reynaldo Lopez. Lopez has posted a 3.29 ERA and a 10K per nine innings, becoming a full-time reliever in 2022, including a 2.77 ERA with a pair of saves and 19Ks over 13 innings in his 13-game stint with the Angels. So he gets picked up by the Guardians as well. Matt Moore, after re rejuvenating his career out of the Texas bullpen in 2022, Moore signed a 
one-year deal with the Angels last offseason proceeded to post a 266 ERA, 49 strikeouts. Uh, so he's going to Cleveland too. I mean, did Cleveland just claim everybody? We looked at it as an opportunity to improve our team. Guardians president of baseball operations, Chris Antonetti, said of the moves, which will cost Cleveland an estimated $3.7 million in salaries. It's rare that you have the ability to improve the team during a season, especially with quality players like this when it doesn't require trading. I agree with them. How about the Reds claiming Harrison Bader? Bader has had a down year offensively with career lows and on base percentage, OPS. His season has also been interrupted by two stints on the injured list, but 29-year-old has long been the best defensive center fielders in the game, and that hasn't changed 2023. His eight outs above average are tied for eighth most among qualified players. The Reds can certainly use that defense. Their outfield OAA minus 26 is the second worst in MLB. Bader's owed roughly $783,000 for the remainder of his $4.7 million contract. So you can pick up. Hunter Renfro, the Reds have nine right fielders. They've used nine right fielders this season. It's ridiculous. The group is combined for a 7-11 OPS and an 89 WRC+. That's not good. Uh, Renfro provides Cincinnati with another strong outfield arm in each rank of the ninth percentile or higher in arm strength in the season. He's owed about $1.98 million from his $11.9 million salary. We feel like we have two solid players to add to our offense can contribute. And the Reds have so much great energy around them right now that, yeah, I, I, su I support this wholeheartedly. It's tough to get these guys. It is. And then I don't know what their contract status is for next season. Are they all free agents? Like, you know, what's it? I know, I know a few of them are, but if you have a chance to improve for this year and you're in a pennant race like the Reds, are they one and a half back in a long play? You make a fucking run on it. Good for them. Uh, the next one here is the Mariners. They claimed Dominic Leone. The Mariners bullpen is, is the second-best ERA in the major since the All-Star break. And he gets a little deeper with the addition of Leone, who was drafted by the club. I remember him in 2012. Broke into the big league with Seattle in 2014. Leone owns a 4.74 ERA and a 1.42 whip this season. Between the Mets and the Angels, however, he has routinely turned in high chase and whiff rates and sits in the 91st percentile in each category this year. Seattle will owe him one month's pay on a $605,000 he's earning this year. So they got him on the cheap. All right, finishing this up, the Daily Hustle 222 on Life Guys for a human crash test dummy. Oh, let's pick out a short chapter as I think we've come into the end. And by the way, we're now on... Uh, there's a little character test, day 101. We're now on Caffeine TV. We are on the Bleed Podcast Network. Uh, it's super so. It's 17 podcast platforms, Apple Podcasts, all of it. We're blowing up. So uh, for all of you joining on those different platforms now, we salute you. Day 101, Daily Hustle 222, picking up ericburns.com. Character test. We are a... Life Optimization Podcast, by the way, first and foremost. Was in a meeting the other day at MLB Network with legendary sports broadcaster Daily Hustle subscriber Brian Kinney said, dealing with failure is easy. Dealing with success, that is the real challenge. He then turned to me and said, that better be a Daily Hustle. Whoa, I love that. BK was damn right. That's definitely deserving of a Daily Hustle. Let's examine. 
We have all failed in our life, and just about all of us have seen what we perceive to be rock bottom. When we reach this low point, we are immensely humbled and forced to do one of the two things, make an adjustment and work our asses off to improve or quit. It's that simple. When we become extremely grateful for any moderate amount of success and our goals become completely process-oriented that focus on small bits of improvement, we also know that because we are at the bottom, the only way to go up, typically, we build this incredible sense of confidence in knowing that the situation will undoubtedly continue to improve. Trust me, I get it. We as human beings thrive on adversity. Okay, cool. But what about when we have created or crested the mountaintop and we are continuing to slay one dragon after another? People are constantly looking up to us with envy and our success comes easy and seems to have absolutely no boundaries and no limits. Ah, shit. We got all the power now. Now what? Well, just like BK said, this is actually when things get difficult. This is when true character is revealed. No matter who you are, it's only natural that our confidence hangs on the edge of, er of the arrogance cliff. Humility and gratitude have the potential to be overrun by conceit and expectancy. And of course, with great success also comes great expectations to continue to succeed. Lastly, because we are at the top, it is inevitable that we will fall at some point. Fuck. Damned if we do, damned if we don't. Well, not really. The solution to this problem is actually pretty simple. The most productive way to deal with both success and failure is by living your life with a consistent attitude of gratitude predicated on a relentless work ethic and the realization that things are never as bad or as good as you believe them to be. As our dude Abe says, nearly all men can stand adversity, but if you want a to test a man's character, give him power. Ultimately, if we stand adversity and pass Abe and BK's character power test, let's be consistently humble, grateful servant leaders whose character remains unaffected by life circumstances. Good luck. Buenos suerte. All right. Uh, <clears throat> no matter what, like I mentioned before, we're going to make sure we hit the weather every day. Our own personalized weather reports. Uh, if you want your city named, town, whatever, let me know. Hit me up on social media. Hit me up here in the chat, whatever. Pete, good morning to you as well. Let's go to RJ in Boise, Idaho. RJ, thanks for joining. 66 degrees there currently right now. High at 83 is overcast. South Haven, Mississippi. Leroy, 72 degrees. High of 75. Low 52. Gorgeous day out there in the south. Orchard Park. We got Pat O'Connell and the Busey Brothers, 72 degrees high, but 75 in upstate New York, home of the Buffalo Bills. Germantown, Jesse Burns, my brother from another mother. What's up, dude? 75 degrees high of 81. Beautiful day out there in Germantown. Montgomery, Alabama, the home of the Biscuits. Biggity Biscuits. And don't forget, it's Biscuits' birthday. 83 degrees high of 85, low of 75, possible light rain. Cherry Hill, New Jersey, Duncan Dad, 73 high. 77, low of 55. How about John Abanian, Ramos, Henderson, and Makati City? We're international once again, motherfuckers. 79 degrees, high of 85, and it rains every day. I don't have to tell you that. Hemet, California, Stephen Luker, 77 degrees, high of 88. You got a flood watch. Why? Is it going to rain? 
Yep. 30% chance of rain with a flood watch. Bakersfield, buckwheat. It's not hump day, dude. But thanks for joining anyway. Air quality alert? Of course it is. 79 degrees high of 91 out there in Neckersfield. Fresno, 75 degrees high of 93. Uh, 101 is your unhealthy air quality for sensitive groups. Looking forward to seeing the Fresno Central Valley crew tomorrow at Twin Creeks. Savannah, Georgia, the land of La Plata. What's up, Byro? 82 degrees high of 84, low of 73. Las Vegas, Nevada, 77 degrees high of 88. That's for Michael for his personalized weather report. You got that flood watch too, man. Sam Mattel, Gary Tagliafico, long live the Peninsula Mets, are making their comeback this weekend as a 13U team, by the way. Pretty cool. Golf's going to be helping coach that team. Uh, Peninsula Mets are back. Gary Tagliafico, we have no idea where the fuck you are, but Mets are back. Chattanooga, Tennessee, 82 degrees high of 84, low of 67. That's Amo, the big Braves fan, big win last night for the Bravos. Duluth, Minnesota, 76 degrees high of 84, low of 62. Good morning to you, Miss Jean. Uh, Auburn, California, the Montgomery's swung by their house yesterday to pick up some LTP uniforms, 62 degrees high, 69 with rain. Really? Uh, Phoenix, Arizona, 84 degrees high, 89. What is happening? It's a cold front moving through. Yup, 90% chance of thunder sharks for Michelle Drew and Kowalski and company. Chief Waters out in New York, 74 degrees high, 77 low, 60. Fall is definitely in the air. And then Half Moon Bay, California, where I am currently right now, it's 60 degrees high, 65 low of 57, 30% chance of showers. That's just been this light mist, and that's it. So, uh, everyone have a fantastic day. Oh, nope, sorry, honey. I don't even know if we got Trucky. Did we get Trucky? Look at this as I rip all the way through, and I leave. Well, Trucky's not even there. I'm going to have to. Apparently, it's been replaced. T-R-U-C-K-E-E. -E. 59 degrees. Light rain forecasted at 10 a.m. High of 60, low of 48. There you go, honey. I got you. All right. Everyone have a fantastic day. Back at you with the Daily Hustle on Monday. That's it. See ya. Have a great weekend.